podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the five-year plan pod extra post Wilfred Zaha meltdown pod special. Um, I'm here with Selzy. How are you doing, Selzy? I'm very well, thank you, Robert. Very good. I'm also here with Jack Pierce. How are you doing, Jack? Well, anytime I, I'm here, Selzy. Anytime I get to step behind the paywall, I'm I'm all for it. So thanks for inviting me. Wow. Yeah, there you go. Wow. He's, he's really crossed the crossed the border into paywallville. And uh, yeah, uh, that's it. And, and speaking of paywallville, here's Dom, who also works behind a paywall. <laughs> I should cherish stepping outside of the paywall, surely. <laughs> Maybe everything you, uh, everything I say can be outside the paywall. I'm not like. even sure. I'm not even sure if this is within the paywall, or outside of the paywall, because I think it's going to everybody. So I don't you just, know. You oh, just called, you called it extra, so I just I know. Man, whatever. Yeah. I'm so used to. In that to case, I've just resigned well. live on air. Brilliant. So that's, that's it. Great. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. New well, big news of this week. Speaking of not re-signing, hey, it's been what a segue indeed. Um, it's been a bit of a uh, a tumultuous um, twenty four hours, hasn't it? With uh, the news that Wilfred Zaha is not going to be signing a contract with Crystal Palace, but instead has moved to. Uh, or is planning on moving to uh, Istanbul to play for Galatasaray. Um, Selzy, what are your initial immediate thoughts following that news breaking? Well, I was quite surprised to hear it yesterday. Um, my understanding is that he was due to meet Steve yesterday afternoon, and I haven't sort of checked this back, but I was of the understanding that he was probably likely to remain at the club, but then obviously all this stuff came out and it was like a bolt from the blue. But um, in terms of where I am with it, I'm um, I'm okay with it either way, really, in the sense of that I had two, you know, both ends of it I could see merit in. I wanted to, to keep him. I wanted him to remain. But... We offered him a hell of a deal. I mean, a hell of a deal and a ridiculous deal, which with the three injuries in the last four months of the season looked extremely risky. And I think that was sort of um, thought about internally after it was made, you know, with the injury situation. Um, And then... um, Obviously, then the choice of the choice of club was staggering. Quite honestly, I was uh, I wasn't expecting you know uh, Wilfred Zaha to to go and play in what is probably the eighth strongest league in Europe. You know, given where he's at and so on. But you know, it might be it may well be just the right time. I don't know. You know, we may have. Seen the best of him. He's 31 in November. 
it may hurt a bit, but it also might be that, you know, it might work out for all parties. So I'm I'm okay and interested to see what happens next. And hopefully we can bring in uh, an exciting replacement or two that will uh, will become the new Wilfred Zaha. But, um, yeah, very surprised all round, really. Very surprised. What were your thoughts on, on, on it, Dom? Because there, there had been some talk in the media that, that Palace were hopeful of a deal. And then for that to just flip in the way that it did, was that an expected kind of... Did you did you see that kind of happening? I thought the longer it went on, I I, I thought it was more and more likely that he would resign mm. because it was clear that that was the the best offer financially on the table. Um, most likely, I suspect that, that Galatasaray offered him something pretty similar. Ultimately, um, that there clearly was not the interest from top table pedigree um, European clubs who would be likely to challenge into the latter stages of the Champions League. That just simply didn't exist. It never materialised that interest. Yeah. There's all this hope early in the summer of you know PSG coming in and it was all high in the sky. It was it, it was there was never anything solid with any of it. Um, but ultimately <laughs> you know for the last Three, four, five years, however long it's been since since we've gone through the whole um, Wilf during the summer, slightly unsettled, would like to try something new scenario. It's always been, I want to play Champions League football. I want to play Champions League football. And, okay, Galatasaray, I've got a, a game against Zalgiris on Tuesday night. I think they're Lithuanian uh, in the second round of the Champions League qualifying stage and uh, you anticipate them getting through that stage there is the prospect of him getting at least six games in the champions league group stage here so to that end it's a good test for him it allows him it gives him that stage for a bit okay they're not going to win it but you never know they might they might conjure some good performances at that at that point against good caliber teams and, and maybe it will open up things for him in future or maybe he'll just enjoy that being on that stage for a, a season or whatever and then and then we'll see where we are but i don't i don't begrudge him the, the move in the slightest i don't think it was, it was i don't think the chronology was brilliant on sunday but i suspect that's largely down to um Galatasaray's social media department wanting stuff out um, and put, wanting to put one over Fenerbahce most <laughs> moreover because that I mean I'd love to know what Wilfred Zaha's wife has been going through on social media recently given that given what Fenerbahce fans were doing in, in terms of just complete bombarding her with come to Istanbul come to Istanbul now when I mean, that derby is going to be tasty it's going to be something else for, for him to endure when it, when it comes up Galatasaray against Fenerbahce this season but so the chronology wasn't great on Sunday but actually the move itself I sort of feel as if we've seen the best of him I don't think as Selzy said with those muscular injuries I don't think um, Wilfred Zaha is at the same level as he has been in previous years I don't begrudge him the move in the slightest it's probably the natural parting of the ways Um, I'm sad to see him go uh, I haven't enjoyed this summer, but I think there have been other issues that have prevented decisions from being made sooner. Um, but he's still always be the greatest, as far as I'm concerned, um, 
fantastic player who's, who's done so much to to keep us in the division for 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 10 11 years so it's fantastic and I wish him all the well all the best Jack do you do you begrudge him any of what's happened in the last 24 hours do you feel that it's a little bit I, the impression I get is that I think the the whole social media stuff and everything that kind of followed was a little bit classless uh, just in terms of the timeline but w- w- is that your your thought as well I guess I'm actually quite underwhelmed for him. I feel quite bad that this is where he's ended. Um, Dom just mentioned the, the clubs he was linked with during the summer, and you know PSG, Atletico Madrid, those types of names. You thought, okay, that that would that would be a move for Wilf. I, I just think joining Galatasaray. I think Adam may kindly rank as eighth most competitive league in Europe. It's a league that made Alexander Sawlot look a world beater just two years ago. So it, it's. It's not where anyone really thought he would end up. Um, as Don references, the links to Fenerbahce seem to have gone away. And then Galatasaray appeared again, um, or maybe for the first time. Uh, first time I saw it was Adrian Kajumba dropped a story on, on, I think, Saturday night about it. So all seems to have moved quite quickly. Um, I think the sequence, uh, or sorry, the sequence of, of how things developed yesterday probably did leave a bit of a bad taste in a lot of Palace fans' mouths, but... Ultimately, he's a free agent. He he technically doesn't owe us anything in terms of having to confirm that he's leaving. Technically, he left on the 30th of June, as far as I understand. So um, it's a peculiar one. I was actually a bit numb when I saw his socials. Was it late last night? He dropped the, the post on Instagram. It was nice of him to do it. But I, I guess I'd kind of moved on already a little bit in that sense. I'm sure we'll come on to the the Michael Alise story that broke it at the same time, but of of kind of impact probably the Michael Elise links away uh, from the club probably more impactful to me than the news that Wolf was leaving in terms of the immediacy and in terms of where Palace lies a Premier League club but yeah, I can only echo what Don just said there you wish him all the best I'm just sad that it's at Galatasaray and you know, it's Champions League football but there's they've got to play four games before they get to the group stage and, and who knows what happens between then and now he's also carrying an injury don't quite know the severity of that injury so I hope it works out for him. I wish him all the best. I have nothing but love for the guy. He's been an incredible influence um, at the football club that I love. So I will always love Wilfred Zaha. He is without question the best player that I've ever seen in a, in a Palace shirt. Um, but it, it does feel a bit odd that it's ended this way. I think my favourite part of the summer in terms of Wilfred Zaha's being linked to lots of different clubs was when Sky Sports exclusively revealed that he'd agreed moves to three different clubs at the same time. Um, boy. Which <laughs> it was really, it was, I think it was, it was Lazio, who else was it? There were two other clubs. It was just ridiculous. Um, but the impression I get is that was the activity of representatives uh, who were working on his behalf. Um, and uh, in doing so, it was just an attempt to try and draw attention to Wilf uh, and maybe even try and get into to to get a better contract offer. But it just didn't seem to nothing seemed to materialize. And we all we all would have dreamed of Wilf. You know, uh, to me, it would have been great if he'd have gone to PSG or uh, even, you know, like Atletico Madrid or any one of those. But yeah, Galatasaray just feels a little bit. Just it's like a B level of European top tier clubs. Um, they they are a huge club in the oh, sense I that mean, they have a huge fan base and massive stadium will, and massive stadium, huge atmosphere every game. I don't know if Donald Sells you've been to, to see Galatasaray for professional mm-hmm. duties, but I imagine it's a hell of an experience. And 
And I we'll went to the old stadium, which was which was small, tiny, but but unbelievably intimidating. I, I'm not. I think we're being a bit snobby, to be honest, about this. I mean, it's. It is a massive club. It's huge. Yeah. It's in a massive, massive city with I think it's fervent football support. He's not gone to he's not gone to Al Nasser in Saudi Arabia. He's no. he's gone to a European league, one which his mates have played in as well. I mean Yannick Balassi was playing in, in Turkey not long ago at an, an inferior club to Galatasaray. Um a, 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 and Patrick Van Arnott was at Galatasaray the season before last. So one that Okay, it's okay. It's not the elite, but actually, Galatasaray will probably it would take something quite significant for them not to challenge for domestic honours in Turkey next season to actually win trophies domestically. If he'd gone to Lazio, if he'd gone to Atletico Madrid, even it, it's I don't think he would necessarily have come away with any silverware, and that's that means something to a player at this stage of his career. Particularly the, the you know the the finances are good as well, so it's plus he gets to say that he's played in the Champions League, which you know we've I think we've all admitted in the past he deserves that he deserves that chance. Yeah. That's fair. I think it's it, it's also great for him to. I, I'm always positive about people going to work abroad and learn different cultures and kind of you know as I think he just I, I really hope he he takes it to heart and really makes the most of it because. Um, it would be such a shame if it turned into something where it didn't quite work out. Um, and that's maybe maybe an informed opinion based on what he did when he was at Man U, but that was years ago. It was 10 odd years ago. So um, perhaps that's a little bit un- unkind to be critical of where Galatasaray are in the, in the pecking order. Um, but Jack, you mentioned the Michael Elise story breaking. Um, I'll go to Selsey first. What were your thoughts on that one? And do you think it's a something that might happen? Uh, I don't know, really. I mean, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because we've signed Michael Elise from Reading for peanuts, really. And who knows whether this clause actually exists or not within the contract, as people are are speculating. Um, I, I have to say that um, you know, it would be very disappointing if we if we did lose him for the for the money. If it is in the in the contract, in terms of you know, you'd lose probably 150 million pounds worth of footballers in those two two players for 35 million pounds. But at the same time, you know, when we get Michael Elise to sign for Crystal Palace, I'm pretty sure that. Um, you know, they're sold the idea that they'll they'll come here from Dougie and use it as a springboard. So the fans have all sort of bought into this. Um, let's you know have this model and develop and sign these exciting players. But obviously, when clubs are interested in them, and let's be honest, I think that you know Michael Elise, Eberechi Eze, Czech de Corey. Uh, Joachim Anderson, Mark Gehi and Wilfred Zaha who has departed or is about to um, you know could all play in the Champions League uh, Champions League football so you are going to have interest in these kind of players if this is the quality of of uh, uh, that you're bringing into the into the club so you know it's one thing sort of 
saying this is how we should go as a club and it's the right way to do things and so on. But then, you know, the, the histrionics again last night around Wilfred and then possibly, you know, Michael Elise and the stick that Steve's getting online again and all that sort of stuff, you know. I mean, giving Steve stick, you know, he's offered £200,000 a week to our best player that we've ever had, who's 31 coming up and, and ageing, to keep him at the club. And he's chosen to go and play for, for a club in Turkey for less money, I think. And, you know, arguably, a, you know, a much weaker league. Well, it is a much weaker league week to week with the Champions League, albeit it's a, a very big club, you know. But uh, this idea that suddenly if, if we sold Michael Elise, if it's not in his hands and that that price is correct and that's a 500% increase in his value in two years, if that's what it is, there's not much we can do about it, but it still represents really good business. But I'm hopeful that it's not the case and we'll be able to hang on to him. Dom, um, you might know about this uh clause that supposedly exists although um darren ambrose has now dismissed it and Talksport have taken his word and said it's uh Talksport understands um what are your thoughts on this whole clause business um well look i, I i'm working on the assumption that it does exist right um I, but I, but i may be wrong i that, that's just the information that i've 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 been given. It doesn't mean I'm right. It, it, things these things are, can change. They have had two years to try and secure him on a different contract, which in which the clause doesn't exist. It, sorry, doesn't doesn't work. It's also we should be stressed. It, it's it, it's not that he has to move if somebody bids thirty five million pounds. I mean, if 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 that clause is in there and he doesn't fancy that move, then he stays at Crystal Palace. So. And I think that the original plan with with Michael Elise was, yes, Palace was going to be a springboard to something else and to Champions League football at a a bigger club. But I think I think he he even he appreciates that his he's still developing as a talent and that maybe another year at Palace would have done him good and he'd you know another. 30 odd games, Premier League games, regular game time at the top level, his his game would have accelerated more and developed more. And I'm not I'm not sure he would get that uh, certainly at Chelsea. Well, I mean, Chelsea were mooted and Chelsea are interested in Michael Elise. There's no kidding that. that. That that is that is a fact. They 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 like Michael Elise. Um but the thing about Chelsea is that they've got so many inverted wings. Is that what we call them these days? Right, you know, left footed wingers who play on the right, or number tens. And I don't. It, when I look at Chelsea, I just I just see a, a club that is stockpiling young talent, and I don't see how he gets into their team and plays thirty or Premier League games, makes thirty or Premier League starts at Chelsea. I'm more worried about Manchester City in that they lose Riyad Mahrez to to Saudi, and there is potentially a route into that City first team for a player that of his, of his talent. Maybe not in that first season. Maybe that first season is fifteen. 20 Premier League games but then beyond that your you, you game develops quite quickly under Pep Guardiola so I think they are a, a, a threat and I, I imagine that if they wanted to 
convince Michael Elise to come to them, either of those two clubs, they would probably be able to outbid Crystal Palace in terms of the wage they would be offering. Um, so that, to me, is also another concern. But I don't have any... I, I'm very... I, it's disappointing to hear about this, but inevitable. And I suppose you have to remember the context, as Selzy said, that we benefited from a release clause in signing Michael Elisink, and that was one of the reasons that we managed to to bring him to the club in the first place. Um, so we can't really whinge if that clause still exists. And we can't sort of say, I mean, the, the galling thing about it is, and the frustration, and I imagine if, if it's there and if Palace are concerned, the galling thing is that you see like a, a team like Brighton develop young talent and they sell it at astronomical sums. We're talking 70 million plus potentially, whereas Palace would actually be selling at 35 million, which is still a good fee. It's not our biggest sale, but it's up there. But it's it's not what we all know and appreciate Michael Elise certainly could be worth and probably is worth now. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. I mean, it, it, the, the Palace's approach is very clear now. Um, and that, you know, as you said, this is part of the the process and you have to kind of trust the process and and the Elise thing is just interesting because it's it, it seems kind of vague which is perhaps a good thing for Palace maybe a bad thing um but the the implication that I've seen is that there is a that there's some kind of clause that essentially gives a, means that Palace have to inform Michael Elise of any bids that come in over a certain amount of money, but then Palace can negotiate something. I don't really understand how these things work, but ultimately, if a club like Chelsea, I'd rather say if a club like Man City came in for him, it would be, as you said, Dom, a far, far more interesting prospect to work with arguably the best manager in the world um, and to, to kind of develop under his tutelage. It, you would understand if that if he if he decided he wanted to go there, but at Chelsea they just seem so stacked. It just doesn't seem to make sense. Is is that a fair judgment, Jack? Yeah, I mean, as soon as I saw Riyad Mahrez's name being linked with the move to, to Saudi Arabia, my alarm bells did start to ring. He is absolutely that fit in terms of that inverted winger, technically brilliant, and he's learned his de- defensive side of his game has has come on leaps and bounds over the last two years since joining Palace. Uh, there'd be further development, obviously, <laughs> by no means the finished article, but uh, what a player for a manager like Pep Guardiola to get um, his, his hands um, on. But, um, I mean, yeah, the, 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 the notion of the clause, I don't think any Palace fan would object, given, as, as Dom and Selzy have said, we, we made the most of the clause in his contract at Reading. I think a lot of Palace fans are going on the kind of update that David Ornstein provided back in the, the previous season, the back end of, 21-22, in which he said the, the clause had been increased to an amount which would equate to a, a club record sale, which would beat the £50 million in, of, in of Aaron David, per second. In fairness to David, he said that they were trying to get that oh, clause. A, absolutely, but I think a lot of Palace fans have taken that as red because the, the trust in Orn bombs, as I think the, the kids call them nowadays, such as the trust in David Orn, seeing that people see any story that he puts out there as a given... Um, and oh, Dom, I totally take that. That may well never have come to the light of day, and may well have just been negotiations, and and who knows how that would have come to light. But um, as as Dom and Celsius said, thirty five million pounds would still represent an incredible profit on an eight million pound investment. Um, but you know, the, the the true market value given his age and and the promise that he's shown is is probably greater than that. But if you play the market like the way we did with Michael Lise, then you've probably got to trust the market eventually that, that will come to um, 
and to come and get him. And and there will, I mean, what was interesting about Darren Ambrose, who knows what his conversation with anyone at the club was earlier, but he did make the good point that if there was a clause, surely people would have activated that already given his promise. But again, like you, Rob, I don't know how the inner workings of a release clause really, really work. So um, I hope he's here next season. I think he could do with another year of, of 35 games, although his start of the season can be delayed. So it'll probably be more likely between 25 and 30. Um, but I think he could do with that being a starter. Um, and then, you know, I've always thought he'd go after three years. I don't know why kind of a self-imposed narrative I put upon myself. I always thought he'd be here for three years and that he wouldn't be the one that went this year, but we shall see over the next week or so. Do you find that the, the online narrative that you see from Twitter commentators about Steve Parrish, especially that's kind of, that comes to light every single time something like this comes up, especially with regards to this release clause, is just it's too much because <clears throat> Michael Elise wouldn't have signed for Crystal Palace without such a clause in his contract. That's just the reality of it, right? He's, I'm sure he's got a very canny agent who uh, who agreed that clause with Reading which Palace then took advantage of. And Palace were a natural stepping stone. And we are. That's just the reality of it. And with someone like Michael Elise, when you actually saw him on the pitch doing what he did and what he has done over the last two seasons, albeit through some injury spells, he has been, he's an exceptional talent. And so for a, for a player like that, any kind of release clause in excess of £50 million, for example, which is what everyone's saying. Well, why hasn't he negotiated a, a, a release clause of £50, £60, £70 million? We're losing money. We're still making a profit. But he wouldn't have signed for a, 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 with a release clause of £70 million because that limits at a point where clubs will look at him and say, oh, he's not really the finished article and we'd pay £70 million for the finished article. They're not going to pay £70 million for a player that hasn't quite really cemented their place in, you know, on on a regular basis. And, and the injury issue is an issue. You know, he's he's ended up, unfortunately, the one that he's had just now was a contact injury and that, that resulted in a, a hamstring tear. I think he's out for three months. So that could also be a reason why he might not move. But this, I, I do find it really difficult. I, I say this as, <clears throat> as someone who um, tries to, tries to be really balanced with with the FYP Twitter account in that I find it really difficult seeing people just going after Steve Parrish repeatedly about every single thing. And this idea that, you know, you see this narrative about him holding the club back. And, and it's the 10th year in the Premier League. Like, there's all this talk about ambition. To me, what even is, what is ambition, really? In the grand scheme of things, for a club like Crystal Palace, what is ambition? To me, it's being in the Premier League for now, and staying in the Premier League, building up your your um, facilities and and reinvesting the money that you get, and actually doing something concrete with it, to, so that you can have something to show for it, and getting into cup finals and trying to win win cup competitions. This idea that we have to, and uh, yeah, it would be really nice if we could get into the top ten and make that a regular a regular habit, and that could well be the case in five or six years time but this idea that we have to have owners spending hundreds of million pounds is just to me it just seems illogical especially for a club like crystal palace who've gone through admin twice i just find it really difficult and this this kind of sniping at, at, at parish especially but he's the only one that's he's the only face of the club that's actually accessible on social media and yet that's that's why he gets it but i do find it really difficult to, to comprehend um Selzy, you said something similar do you it, it, it's it's just awful isn't it 
Well, the reality is, Rob, unfortunately, that people don't really know and they don't really understand how these things work. So they just come out firing every time. Oh, he ain't done this, he ain't done that, and so on and so on. As you say, for 10 years in the Premier League, the most successful spell in the club's history, we're about to start our 11th season in the Premier League. And, you know, this clause stuff, what do we know, what don't we know? But if that clause is £35 million, what did make me curious is... That newspaper report last night suggested that Chelsea had offered £39 million, for example. Well, if the clause is 35 why do they need to offer more? They don't. You know, if they, Palace would have to tell the player and he'd have the choice of going to talk to them or, or Manchester City or anyone else. But So I don't, I don't really know the, the detail of it in that sense. But, you know, you want to get Michael Elise, we paid his agent a fortune with... with had to put this clause in place to get him to sign in the first place. You know, there were a lot of people that were very interested, not least um, Thomas Frank at Brentford. I think Dom interviewed at some point around the time Michael Elise signed for Palace and he said that was his biggest regret of the summer, not getting him or the, the most talented player he missed out on or whatever it was. I can't remember at the time. But, you know... The, it's very difficult. We want to take the club forward. You want to make it bigger and better, bigger and better. But the issue you have these days is with the freedom of contract, you don't hold all the cards all of the time. And we're going back to Wilfred. Wilfred doesn't owe anyone anything. He's done his five years at the club. And by the way, the idiot, in inverted commas, that's in charge, who doesn't know what he's doing, has managed to keep Wilfred Zaha at the club for for five years in that within that contract, and he's seen it out, and we've had the benefit of him, and we, we've stayed in the Premier League as a result. Now he's not able to control that now because he's got to the end of the contract. But my God, if Wilfred Zaha is turning down that money to go and play in Turkey, I don't really know what else Steve could do. Quite frankly, well, do you know what I mean? It's in- it's impossible. Interestingly enough, Selzy, um, 15 minutes ago, uh, Galatasaray announced that he they've reached an agreement on a three-year contract with a 2.3 million euro, um, I'm amazed that they actually reveal all, the, all of this, 2.3 million euro signing on fee and uh, 4.35 million euro um, annual pay, essentially. Uh, so he's basically taking half the money that you would have had at Palace. Or, or, no, I wouldn't necessarily read too much into that. You don't know the tax rules for Turkey. Ah, fair point. No, okay. That is, that is from what I understand, that I picked up today in one conversation, one of his benefits is that the net pay might be similar or, or slightly better. But, I mean, I'm... Um, Again, that's a net. That's a net amount. That's a net amount. Four point three five euro. Two point three five million euro per year, net. Okay. Right. Okay. Well, okay. it's after then, what, after everything. What was the signing on fee? Two point three three. So okay, so two point three three, and then what did you say? Four point three. Four point three five. Yeah. Four point three five right, okay. per so year. That, what's that? Thirteen million euro. So it's fifteen. 15 million euros plus over three years, five million a year net. Yeah, it's probably, it's it's not, it, it will be less, but not maybe with the net, with the, um, 
with the tax rules, as you say. So that's the net pay. If that is right, that's 15 and a half. I'm just driving and counting that as I'm going along. But yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's, I don't think it's, it's particularly. Oh, we've lost him. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when he starts talking about tax. He goes into blows a big black hole. That's a rude word in my language, tax. Do you know what I mean? It's, uh, <laughs> it's not, uh, not something I like talking about. Oh, I've, just, um, I've, just uh, had, I've just had that clip of him he, because they've announced there's a, an official video of him and he's... <laughs> He walks through the trophy room, the trophy cabinet, and he goes, well, I've never seen so many clubs. And that part of me thinks he's never seen any, but, you know, it's Way to put the dagger in, Wilf. No, his eyes, his eyes just light up at, at oh. trophies. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's weird seeing him in the shirt. I've got to say, that has hit me differently than just kind of the news on, on Twitter and on socials yesterday. Seeing him smiling in another club shirt, that is a bit different, but uh, here we are. Selzy, there's an interesting uh, palace link to the to, to the footage that was filmed yesterday by Galatasaray. It was yeah. uh, it was shot by Dean Kiley's son, Mason. Was it? Yeah, Mason was the guy doing the filming. What in the plane? Uh, yeah, yeah. Apparently so. I think uh, I'm it? not sure about the plane. I think the phone. It was. It, um, I think that was recorded on a phone. But if you actually look at the footage of him being introduced to the fans outside the airport, it was uh, Mason Kylie who was kind of trailing him with lots of fa- uh, camera equipment. So just an interesting one. Okay, that. May, may well be Mason has um, set a talented. Up as a, uh, he had been, yeah, been working for Matchroom uh, Boxing, but has set up a freelance business now. I think and. Uh, Maybe the connection with Wilf and Danny and Co. probably uh, got him set up. Why he was doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We're going to take a break now, having discussed taxes in Turkey, um, and uh, (laughs) join us in part two, where we uh, take some questions from, I was going to say patrons, but actually it's probably Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So uh, we'll look forward to that. Join us in part two. of the five-year plan pod extra um we start with some somber news about trevor francis who uh, sadly passed away today um at the age of 69 um he had a i would say it, it wasn't quite the most memorable spell at crystal palace um but it was one of those where it was of a time and i think if, if i think back to trevor francis i think back to a time of uh kind of mid-table kind of midi mid mediocrity and um uh post steve bruce fallout that followed um but yeah it's it's sad news this he was a a, a manager who clearly enjoyed working at crystal palace and was very <laughs> disappointed that he was sacked on his birthday um but we we'll talk a, a little bit about memories of of trevor francis um the one that sticks out for me is the the liverpool uh, fa cup win uh, in which I think it was Dougie Friedman and Julian Gray that scored uh, scored the both goals, and I think Dougie Friedman was sent off, wasn't he? For one well, was an own goal from Stefan Onshow. Oh, was it? You're right. Mm-hmm. And he, didn't he get sent off for an elbow on Hippier? Yeah. Was it Hippier? Dougie did, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it was 
such a for me it was memorable because I I was I, I I think I had tonsillitis at the time and I, I went up passed out in the back of my my mate's car and then uh got to the game screamed my lungs out and the next day I was I was cured. So, um, so yeah, if oh, you ever have not, tonsillitis, not to Trev. <laughs> scream it out and, um, and yeah, good luck. Uh, but it was just, it was a really memorable moment in, in kind of a season of forgettable, um, just kind of forgettable football really. Uh, but what, what are your memories of Jack? What's, uh, sorry, of, uh, Trevor, Jack, what was your standout memory? Yeah. I was thinking about this today. It's incredibly sad news. 69 is, is no age. And, um, yeah, it's very sad. But I was thinking about not maybe a particular game, but I guess he did bring some quite important figures to the club. We were just talking before we, we pressed record about probably his inside knowledge of, of Andy Johnson is probably what got him involved in the, the deal with Clinton Morrison. He brought Danny Butterfield to the club, um, Danny Granville. So elements of that 2004 playoff winning squad were brought to the club by Trevor Francis. So clearly had a, an eye for a player, but just always look back at his time at Palace and just felt maybe it was too soon after being let go by Birmingham, you know, his boyhood club. And, you know, he came, it was effectively a managerial swap deal, wasn't it? Because Bruce went one way and he came the other way. So I, I always just felt it, he maybe just wasn't ready to come straight back into management. But yeah, you summed it up right, Rob, in terms of his time at Palace. And we touched on it last year when we did that kind of ad hoc pod about maybe some younger fans not really appreciating what we have in terms of 11th year of Premier League football. Probably summed up, by uh, losing 3-1 at home to Grimsby on a Tuesday night in which he uh, clipped the uh, the reserve goalkeeper around the ear for saying something behind his back. And uh, I think Trevor Francis visited Latvia many times after that. Even. Um, yeah, that was a goalkeeper that Selzy helped sign. Uh, oh, there you go. <laughs> do, you, uh, do you remember him getting punched around the punched in the face, Selzy? Yeah, I don't know if it was a punch, but I think he, he was laughing about something on the bench or whatever it was, the story at the time. But yeah, it wasn't a wasn't a great situation. I mean, as Jack alluded to there, you know, Palace in that period, having had a great start to the season under Steve Bruce and it didn't really work out. But Trevor Francis was, a, you're not old enough, most of you, I don't even know if Dom is, but he was a fantastic player, like a really wonderful player. Broke through at a young age. I think he came from Plymouth to Birmingham, was the first £1 million footballer in 79, I think it was. Um, yeah, he was a very, very, very good player. Had a very good career and played in Italy. He, he, he achieved much, really. He was... Uh, he was very, very good. Unfortunately, his Palace spell didn't quite uh, bring the same success. But, um, you know, in fairness to him, he was probably on a bit of a hiding to nothing at the time. And, um, yeah, it wasn't... Uh, Palace won't go down among his fondest memories. But if you look at his career as a whole, you'd have to say, you know, he'd done some great, great things. John, what are your memories of uh, of Trevor Francis's time at Crystal Palace? Well, I mean, he he was clearly the the victim of a bit of a tete a tete between Simon Jordan and uh, Birmingham City's manager uh, owners at the time, um, Sullivan, Gold, and Brady in there. Because um, I don't think I don't think Simon Jordan would necessarily have been trying to hire a 
a manager like Trevor Francis had it not been for Birmingham nicking Steve Bruce from whilst we were going so well up back in 2000 and, was it 2001 um, yeah I, I was at Anfield the day that the, the night that we won 2-0 as well um at Liverpool and you got a sense from his post-match press conference there bless him he, he, I never found him a particularly good interview I have to say he, he was he was a bit too savvy uh, from his, maybe from his commentary days um he, he didn't really ever give you a, a line to use a to coin a journalist phrase um he 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 but in that post-match press conference at Hanfield, he he almost held court as if he, this was his stage this is the, this is the, the, the this is what the stage I should be on you know winning games at Anfield and, and not actually being that shocked by it when the, the reality was we got absolutely battered in that game and Emil Heskey missed so many chances. <laughs> I remember Gerard Ullier at the end of that season, I was covering Liverpool at the time. Gerard Ullier uh, went round the, we used to have a sort of end of the press conference sort of gathering around the top table and he'd, he'd go off the record, turn, turn and take record and stuff, you could chat about anything. And he actually asked us who we all supported because I think he, he felt as if there were too many Evertonians in the room. <laughs> So you went round the press pack and there were like seven Liverpool fans, two Evertonians and one Crystal Palace fan. He said, well, you, looked, you looked at me and said, you support Crystal Palace? I said, yeah, yeah. He said, my, you must love Emil Heskey. And it was pretty much that summed up that <laughs> night because he was, he, Heskey had an absolute shocker and, and to, to Trevor France's benefit. Um, but yeah, he must be the only Palace manager ever to have been sacked on the back of a 4-1 away win. Pretty sure he won four one at Grimsby, and he was sacked a few days later on his birthday. I think you're right. Yeah, I think you might be right. Yeah, I was going to say. I think you're hell of a way to go out. Yeah. 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 So the manager of the five 0 Brighton as well. So yeah, first time we played Brighton in years, I think that was fifteen um, years. I think yeah. Yeah, Andy Johnson hat trick, which uh, it just yeah, brilliant. Um, but it was just yeah, it's just. I think the other thing that I remember about Trevor Francis, which is always something that I liked about him, is whenever he did commentary for for TV, he was always really complimentary about his time at Crystal Palace, which said a lot about him because he it, he could have been quite bitter given the way that things ended on his birthday. Um, but yeah, uh, our thoughts are with him and his family and, um, and, and anyone that knew him at Crystal Palace and uh, may he rest in peace. Um, we're going to go on to talking about Questions from uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram followers. Uh, we've got quite a few. JD filtered it down from 72 or so, uh, and we've got about 30 now. So <laughs> I'm going to pick through these. Um, the first question is um, from uh, Nikki Cubitt, and um, she says... Uh, what's your favourite Wilf moment? Uh, she says, for me, watching him grow up from a skinny teenager who would get knocked off the ball to a strong and powerful player and, of course, watching him score against Brighton in the playoffs, it's been a privilege watching some uh, watching some grow up in front of us on the pitch. Um, that Brighton game is probably the, the number one, but I think any appearance against Brighton, he really uh, made his own, didn't he? He, he, just, he was excellent against Brighton on a regular basis, Jack. Yeah, I... I... Had the fortune to talk over this with, with Edmund Brack earlier for SLP, and yeah, they're, they're plentiful, aren't they, in terms of his moments? I mean, I guess the one image that really comes to mind is it's from a bizarre. I mean, it's Roy's first win against Chelsea, where he, he scores the second and he wheels off, and just the joy on his face. I think it was his first game back after injury, and I just remember just thinking how much he just loves playing and how much he loves playing for Palace, and and 
yeah, he's just had so many great moments in the Palace shirt. Often, you know, often against Brighton and, and perhaps most impactfully against Brighton back in May 2013. But so many to choose from. I, I probably would need to compile a list, a short list, and then go through them. But yeah, some amazing moments and uh, just giving me so much excitement just watching him. And, and at times he really was worth the entrance fee alone, wasn't he? Yeah. So, what are your thoughts? What's your favourite moment of uh, of Wilf's career at Palace? I mine's a bit different to all yours because I don't really have a a favourite as such. But obviously, seeing him from a young age playing in our youth team and watching him sort of blossom really into becoming what he did and finding himself, you know, probably it's that those moments, you know, early early on that make me think of, of Wilfred really more than anything else. You know, I can, I can remember at the end of a season, us playing Aston Villa at Bodymore Heath. And I had to, uh, all, all you could hear was the noise of, of Aston Villa player boots hitting Wilfred's shin guards throughout the first half because they couldn't get near him you know just they were literally kicking seven bells out of him and I, I, I at one point where he was injured on the floor I actually said to the referee like you you can't allow this to happen like the bloke's going to end up with two broken legs if you if you keep letting this go but uh, it, that sort of stuff really is is the the thing like with Wilfred that you know, I always think about those sort of early games and the, the the goals he would score and the things he would do, even at youth team level, really, I suppose. And then, you know, you knowing it and seeing it before and then all the rest of the people, the fans, get to see him on a bigger stage and he becomes, you know, the greatest player in the club's history from from where he was. And that's the sort of magical bit for me, the kid that's eyes were popping out of his head in the dressing room at Fulham when I told him he was going to play in our first team in front of all the players and he didn't believe me and all that sort of stuff. He was a, you know, as I said before, he lacked a a little bit of confidence as a kid when he was coming through and, and he, I think he just did things. One of the things, and I, I think you'll probably remember this from his early days when he, when he broke into the first team and I still, this was a feature of his performances at youth team level originally, and I, I still today don't know how he did, does it or did it. Was that he could take the ball to the to the byline, the defender would be showing him off the pitch essentially, you know, nowhere to go, and he'd managed to get by the fella and keep the ball on the field when there was nowhere to go. And I still, it used to make me go. How did he do that? And he would repeat it at at first team level. And I think back to some of those games in the championship where he would, you just knew when he was on your side that he would turn games that you were losing into victories. You know, I I think we we were 2 0 down to Sheffield Wednesday one year and came back 1 3 2. And then I think we were playing Burnley soon after and we were 2-0 down. And I remember during the game saying, oh, we've got him, we'll win. And he'll turn the game around. And we won the game 4-3. And it was just, he was so good. And he was so able to to turn games on their head at that level. 
if those that remember like the Peterborough away game and things like that when we played that season and so you just yeah I think it's the sort of rise that's magical really I guess you know that's seeing that climb from where he is from where he was and started out to to ending up with a mural on the wall and you know decorated as our greatest ever player you know that's that's just it's the whole the whole journey for me, but like everything, it's always in the formative years and in the beginning where the real magic is, if you like, and it's there in front of your eyes. And um, that, I guess, I'll always hold most fondly when talking about Wilfred. Um, that's really thoughtful views, um, Selzy. I thought that was really insightful and, and it, it says a lot. I mean, it, it, it's from a place of love, I think, for you. You you yeah. saw him from a kid and and um yeah it's lovely um Don somebody your... somebody sent me the picture today <laughs> Rob, by the way of him standing by me in the team picture saying how young I looked and as if <laughs> I don't know what he means like is he, is he suggesting I don't look like that anymore I'm not sure but anyway yeah no it's I mean you've you've definitely played a part in his in in the player that he became and that's that's a that's credit to you as well um Dom what are your what are your standout memories of of Wilf um well some of the some of the more obvious ones I guess um you know Old Trafford under Freeman in the in the league cup when he sort of announced himself on the on the stage and convinced Sir Alex Ferguson that he was worth pursuing um, Brighton away in the in the playoffs, obviously. Um, what he did to Cassetti in the in the playoff final, um, and the celebration even before the penalty had been <laughs> spotted. I mean, it was that 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 sort of sums up the man. That um, I, I, I actually my, on the pitch, my favourite memory will always be uh, the sort of gibbering wreck that he reduced Daryl Yanmat to in that Watford game, which was Amazing. just a phenomenal performance to, to some, because a game that we were losing and, and we looked broken and I remember the plight at the time we'd only won one game that season up to that point. And what he did in, at the end was just absolutely astonishing. He didn't even get credited with an assist for that, for that Jimmy MacArthur goal, because uh, it took a little f- flick off a defender as it went across across the the six yard box um they doubled up on him they doubled up on him oh yeah but they no no one could stop him he was just there was a period in the premier league where he was single-handedly um keeping palace in matches or or would turn matches and sometimes Turn performances, I and mean, sometimes it didn't work. I mean, there was that the brilliant goal, the, the probably the best goal he scored for Palace was against Swansea in a game that we lost at home. Yeah. But yeah. it was an amazing goal. I mean, it's absolutely from a horrible performance, he produced this incredible goal at home, lost two one. Uh, Holloway, yeah, another one drew three three. Just wasteful, but but just 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 brilliant, and just just finally off the pitch. <laughs> um, I won't tell the whole story because Neil Ashton will shout at me. But but the the interview that that Ash and I conducted with a very young Wilf towards just after around the Peterborough game time. Actually, it must have been just before Peterborough away in the in the promotion year. Um, 
where he sat with with us. Terry Byfield took us into into what has now become Palace's press conference room, but was basically just a, a, a disused office area at the time. I think used by some of the academy coaches occasionally, and 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 we sat down there with another member of the the Palace media team, and held court with a very young Wilfred for about forty five minutes. And people always have a pop at us for that interview about one of the quotes that Wilfred came out with, unprompted, um, about how he, 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 I think he was asked, does anything phase you in football? Does anything phase you? And he just simply said, no, I mean, uh, you know, other than, you know, Messi and Ronaldo, nothing. And, but as soon as you put those words Messi Ronaldo into a into the context of uh, of a of a newspaper <laughs> and a young kid who's not been capped, he's not played in the Premier League. Obviously, it then becomes something else, and it was seized upon by by a lot of other publications subsequently, and he got hammered for it unfairly. But it just summed up the, I thought it summed up the innocence, it summed up the confidence and the complete self belief of the kid. He was just. He just knew he was brilliant. He he had no respect for anybody. He would he, he talked about coming up against Danny Murphy playing for Blackburn that season and just oh. ripping him to I shreds see. and not yeah. caring. Coming up against Millwall players and saying, "Why are you why are you having a pop at me? I mean, I'm just better than you. I'm just better." And he was. He was just he was just a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant player and utterly privileged to have watched him play for Palace. It's, he's a he's been a joy for a long time. We've been very lucky. He was also, I think, I'm pretty sure in saying this, that every, that he's, I think the only goals he scored with his head were yeah. against Brighton. Yeah, Is that sure. right? Pretty sure that's the, true. The playoff, and then there was yes. the season of Premier the League. 3-2. Yeah, 3-2. Yeah. Yeah. I can't think of any others. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't head it. He didn't head it. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> the thing. He, did, he didn't head it, and yet that, not, not that, diving, that diving header was was just so yeah. perfectly executed that and that, that I think for me that Brighton game that playoff game and I know Palace fans are really like at the moment there's there's this kind of negativity about about nostalgia but that that game just summed up Wilfred Zaha he had the the way that he uh, the way that he met that cross from from Yannick Bellassi to head the ball past uh, uh, what's what's his name the Polit Tomic yeah Kusak and then and then the the second goal was just perfection the the touch the spin the shot into the top corner and and it was just it just he turned that fixture upside down you know there was it was very much an even contest right up until that point there were. Brighton had had a few chances. Speroni made a great save, um, and, and uh, from Barnes and and but then Wilf was just he just turned it upside down. And he if it, without him we wouldn't have got promoted. Really, that you know the 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 penalty win at Wembley um, as well. And then we all thought he was leaving then. And I remember the sadness of thinking we're not going to see him in a Palace shirt in the one season of Premier League football that we're going to have. Um, and I genuinely thought that that was it was so disappointing. And then witnessing him struggling at Man U and people questioning his his work rate and his ethic, and 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 then going to Cardiff City and struggling at Cardiff City in a really poor side that that had a future Man U manager who did a, de- a terrible job there as as much as he did at Man U later on in his career. Um, but Wilf then returned to Palace. And I remember that, I think it was his first game was the, the Newcastle game. And and he just, it was brilliant seeing him 
in that moment and and seeing him in red and blue again in the Premier League. And I wouldn't have imagined that we'd have had an extra, what, eight seasons of Wilfred Zaha plying his trade at Palace. And oh, this nostalgia, it makes me wish him well. I genuinely, like, I think that, I know that we're all very, it's sadness, ultimately, that that is the 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 issue at heart in all of this it's grief in some ways it's a, a mild form of grief but i do wish him well and i hope that what he you know that that he takes the opportunity that galatasaray presented him with and, and just does it on the big stage because we know he's capable of it we know that he's capable of being a champions league player and if he can score a couple of goals in the champions league it'll all give us an opportunity to say we told you so and that will be worthwhile More oh, questions. <laughs> Sorry, it was a bit of a rant there. Um, You've got 30 of these. You might need three podcasts. No, I know. Yeah, uh, I'm going to try and cut them down because we, 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 we have talked about Wolf quite a bit. Um, there is one more. Uh, let me see. Moving on from Wolf, actually. Uh, Ajay, Ajay Season says, is, is Damari Gray any better than Jezrek Saki in terms of a Wolf replacement? Um He's someone that has been linked with a move to Palace. I think there's been some talk of a £10 million fee or something like that. Um, what are your thoughts on that one, Selzy? Uh, from what I gather at the moment, that is mainly coming from the Everton end, who are keen to sell him to raise money, from what I gather. I don't know how close that is in terms of Palace. I've not heard it, but, you know, things could be moving. Um, Palace need... Without Wilfred now, uh, at least three wide players to add to the squad and a centre forward. So they're going to be key. And if Tamara Gray was one of those, then I would be okay with that. But I hope that we would be pushing on looking for for bigger and better Um you know, I think the Francia thing would probably excite the fans more, young Brazilian and all that sort of stuff, if that if that's doable. But I think that's quite complicated as well. Um and you know, I I you know that I said to you previously on on our podcast that, you know, I felt that we should have um we should have perhaps been a bit livelier in the free agent market to bring a couple of bodies in in those areas that didn't necessarily have to cost a lot of money. And I think we had the opportunity to sign Damari Gray when he was in Germany a couple of years ago. I can't remember if it was on loan, but I think we were offered for like £2 million or something then. So That's what Everton paid for. Yeah, then um, and we didn't do that. But um, yeah, one of... I think he'd be a useful player to add to the squad. But the idea that he would be a starting player and replace Wilfred Zaha directly would probably, you'd probably be a little disappointed if that was the case. Um, and we don't want to put 
too much pressure on Jezrak Saki. I mean, he's had a really good season in, in League One, but this guy is still undergoing lots of development. He's he's clearly bulked up quite a bit and he can handle himself a little bit more, but it's just it's asking a bit too much too soon, isn't it, Jack? I would say so. I, I think just the absence of others or the departure of others doesn't make the next best move for him to still be a low move to the Championship. I, I, I think rushing him into the first team, unless he tears it up in pre-season, we'll see over the next week or so with the two games in the States as to whether he uh, he does impact games from the start or not. But I, I still think the best thing for him would be a season out and, and agree with Selzy that we need need to supplement the squad with with other signings. Um it's an odd one with, with Jezra Saki because he had such a good season at Charlton. Uh, it does create the notion that he could bridge the gap from League One. Um, and it's not a team that finished anywhere near the top of League One. It's a team that finished very much mid-table in League One. So it's a, a hell of a jump people are suggesting he makes. I think Damari Gray, I mean, if you offered me Damari Gray versus Jezra Saki, I probably would still choose Damari Gray. He's a player who scored six Premier League goals last year. So he's he's able to to kind of cut it in the Premier League. The thing that I bulked out a little bit with Demario Gray was the figure of ten million pounds when Everton are trying actively trying to get rid of him, and they picked him up for just one point five two years ago. So, if we're talking about a huge profit on Michael Elise, that was that would actually constitute a bigger profit on Demario Gray than what we're thinking we might get for Michael Elise. So, who knows? Time will tell in terms of where that deal. I, I suspect Selzy's probably right, knowing Everton um, uh, a little bit better than some other clubs that are desperate to raise some income, and, and if it's a case of having to offer saleable assets, Demario Gray's probably higher up their options than other players they've got that they would love to get rid of, like Leon Mopé. Yeah. Um, question from Martin Hayes, which kind of links into this. He says, how confident are the experts, which I, I think he means Dom and I'll, I'll, I'll step out here then. Us, yeah, we'll, we'll take a step back here. What the was experts? the gentleman's name? What was the gentleman's uh, Martin, name? Martin Hayes. Not the former Martin. Arsenal winner. Martin, thank you, but you've come to the wrong place, pal. <laughs> he he's a big fan of you two so um uh not the band the two of you uh but anyway he, come on um, let's come on let's keep it moving come on so he's he essentially he's he said uh, how confident are the experts uh are us actually being able to find off afford and complete the recruitment needed which now looks quite significant dom are you confident <laughs> oh dear well i mean look, <laughs> not 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 confident i don't i'm not i don't think it's an easy process i think i think they i think there will be additions i'm not quite sure they'll be done when does the premier league start three weeks time under three weeks time i don't think they'll be done by then not 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 enough of them and or certainly not ones that are going to be able to hit the ground running so i suspect we're going to be revisiting selsey's complaints about writing off the first month of the season yet again um because it's not the first time that's happened in recent seasons. Um, but I'm also conscious that, I mean, there are, there are difficulties to this because we, the world knows we've just offered Wilfred Zaha 200 grand a week. So it, the world knows that Palace have got money when they want it, when they want to use it, when they're willing to use it, um, which is, which is tricky because not only does that, tell the current squad that they were willing to pay an awful lot of money on wages, but it also tells players that you covet that, that, that they should be earning very, very well and clubs out there that, that are willing to sell players to us. So I don't think it's an easy process, but they will get players in because they, because, because they have to, 
I mean, they have to. That's the reality. I mean, I'm, I'm sure, I, I suspect that Francho will get done. But the thing about Francho is he's he's a he's a kid. He's not. He's he's coming to us younger than Lisa came to us. If he if he comes, I mean, it's why should he hit the ground running and tear it up in the Premier League in the first eighteen months? What? Why? What? What? What's? What is there out there? What evidence is out there that that, that will happen? It's. It'll be a process with him. There may be some very good moments, but there are probably going to be a lot of average ones as well. So I, 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 we've always said over the last five years since Wolf handed in the first of his transfer requests that that when the day came round to replacing Wilfred Zaha, it wouldn't just be one player; it would have to be a few players to to bulk up the squad and and give the manager, whoever that may be, options to to play things differently when you've got such a key player that's gone. Um, if, if Belize's kept that, that does make life slightly simpler from October when he's fit again. Um, but regardless, the the reality where we are at the moment is that Palace's solitary signing of the summer is a free transfer arrival from Bournemouth. And we've lost Luka Milovievich. Okay. Not the player he once was, but still an influence. James MacArthur, Definitely not the player he once was. Still an influence. Wilfred Zaha, our, our greatest ever player. Um, and there's someone else as well I've missed off. Oh, potentially Michael Olise. But, uh, you know, if, if if indeed this this interest comes to anything, so it's a it's another moment. It's another challenge. But every challenge, every every summer window is a challenge when you're a club of Palace's size trying to compete in the best league in the world. It's uh, those those three you mentioned them. Over 700 Palace appearances gone free agency so if you think experience wise as well that that squad that training ground is it's looking at James Tompkins a lot in the next 12 months because that is a squad light on experience I know experience only goes so far but that's a really good lost. point Jack that because because Palace's policy and as we mentioned in the first section Palace's policy is to buy young potential that can be sold at a profit and we've done that really really well the last two years three years with if you take into account as a um, we, we're making a success of that. And that comes with pain, yes, because we don't want to see our best players leave, but that is the reality of how it works at clubs of our size. But if you do have an, a vacuum of a void of, of experience, then maybe you have to break from that policy just mm-hmm. for one window. And, and Jefferson Lerma, to a certain extent, was that. He, he, and he does feel that somewhat, yeah. yes, absolutely. But I'd suggest that possibly one more would probably be sensible in the circumstances, given what has left the club. Yeah, it's um, it's going to be an interesting. I, I, go on, so I was going to so say I'm not so sure that it's a problem. You know, the the most of the lads that you're talking about, you know, from the goalkeepers, all the defenders, you know, your midfield, but they've all got reasonable Premier League experience. You haven't got too many novices. You know, you've got, you know, you you've still got players. You know, like. IU, Eze, you know, and so on, higher up the pitch also that have played a number of games in the Premier League. They're not they're not new to it. You know, they're international players. I I, I wouldn't be too worried about that, I have to say. Like I'd, I think the quality is the most important element. I think we've got enough around it that um that we'll be able to uh to, to cope without that. And it is I mean, as you're talking about a lot of appearances there, and but it is a bit of an end of an era, Do you know. We we are, but that happens in every club, and and actually we're coming to an end of an era, despite all the doom and gloom and nonsense that I'm hearing. We're sort of coming to an end of an era with 
Luka Milivojevic and James MacArthur and Wilfred Zaha. But look what we've got coming in behind it, you know, and what, what we could do. And in fairness, they've bought very well. Steve's no dummy. Dougie's no dummy. They'll know that we need players. Steve probably won't be, well, I'll say probably, well, it's no probably about, won't be enjoying the negativity from the fan base and will probably be even keener to please at this moment in time. So I think we just have to see. But there are there are players out there, you know, in those wide areas that, you know, you can buy or loan. You know, there, there are people that would be that would be useful to add to our squad. And I'm sure that, you know, we'll get a few in and, and uh, things will look a bit better. Elsie, can I ask you a question? Uh, just mm-hmm. towards the end of last season, you mentioned, I think by name, it's now a deal that's been done elsewhere, but you mentioned that Palace and many other clubs were looking at Jonathan Bamber. Uh, he's now he's now moved and, and has gone elsewhere and he's going to have a season in Spain, a season or two at Celta Vigo. Do you think mm-hmm. that... Do you think by waiting for Wilf, we have actually probably lost players that we otherwise would have gone for had we well, known what Wilf was doing a bit earlier, practically speaking? I don't, I don't know how interested or whether there was even a level of interest in him, but these were the kind of players I was pinpointing because mm-hmm. thinking if we could keep Wilfred and Michael Alise, someone like him and Adama Traore, for instance, for nothing in terms of fees would have been quite useful additions to our squad to give us, you know, depth. And I do I do think, you know, we are, like in midfield, we've got half a dozen now. You know, Hamad has done very well in pre-season. I know that's not a, not, not a guide or a yardstick, but I would say that even in his little cameos last year, he showed something when he was used. So I'm hoping that he and... And uh, Eberechieza will offer us our attacking options in midfield. Lerma and Decorey, Will Hughes and Jeffrey Schlupp. You know, you're not too badly stocked there. And, you know, a decent amount of experience as well. And then, you know, central defensively, you know, ideally you'd have replaced Tompkins with somebody younger. But that's not really a priority when you've got the two you've got and Chris Richards as well. And right back. But the, the sort of glaring areas for me are Jordan Ayew, I'd see more as a central striker than a wide player, to be honest. And I don't think he's dynamic enough as a wide player, but I think as a number nine, he does all right. And if you've got him and Edward, you need to get another striker in, ideally, and, and move Mateta on if you can. But then that just leaves you Michael Elise And Jez, you know, you were talking about him a moment ago, I think Jez, you might have to keep around, but I'd like him to be the the fifth option of of wide players, so that that you you've got him that hopefully you can over uh, leap leap over a couple of those in front of him, and and make his mark. But you know it'd be good if he's here to have him, but you wouldn't necessarily want to pin all your hopes on him. But I do. I think Jez has got a very bright future and I think he's a talented boy. Yeah, it's um, it's going to be interesting. It's, I mean, Palace are clearly going to have to make some signings. Uh, this idea that, that we're not going to make any, which seems to be the catastrophizing, catastrophizing, sorry, uh, nature of Palace fans or some Palace fans. Um, 
it, it's not really realistic, but we'll see what happens. Um, we have a, had Rob, a question. Sorry, sorry <coughs> yeah. Rob, I, just, I should have added there, you know, in answer to Jack's question about Wilfred, they didn't really want to give Wilfred an ultimatum at any time. They really wanted him to come to his own decision and come to them. And obviously there was the stuff around the contract with the existing agent, the injury and all that sort of stuff. But I, I, I think the feeling was that if you give Wilfred an ultimatum, it's not something he particularly responds to well. And that would have probably gone the other way as it, as it is, you know, Speaking personally, I would say to you that I part of the reason I think he's taken this deal in Turkey at Galatasaray is that because he sort of voiced his his opinion about leaving Palace and moving on to a greater stage numerous times and asked to leave, perhaps there may well have been a bit of a climb down or, or be, it may have been viewed as a bit of a climb down as if he'd stayed. And I think that may have been the driving force because, as we've all said, as big a club as it is, it doesn't really fit, you know, it's not the best league in the world that you, you, you know, you're leaving that behind to go and play there. And I think that's probably perhaps a driving factor, really. And that's a shame because, um, you know, I think he would have had 200,000 reasons a week to not worry about that too much. But um, this is football and where we are. And, and, you know, as I said, I think that it is maybe the right time. I I, I don't know. We've had the best years of Wilfred Zaha. We don't know whether these injuries, as I talked about at the beginning, are going to be a continual problem. And I was okay with it either way, you know. So... I am okay with it either way. And, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see what comes next. But it's not the end of the world. And, you know, we want to see the next super talented, you know, Michael Elise uh, coming to the club. And, you know, if we we signed another player of his calibre, for instance, uh, you know, Francher is this level, uh, you know, or going to be, and it's going to excite, you know, the king is dead. Long live the king, isn't it? Really, that's the that that's the the way that football works. Yeah. Um, a question from uh, Anti Anthony Bedanovic. Uh, he said, uh, "Why did the club go quiet on social media?" So I actually did a little bit of digging about this and asked asked Palace um, people that work for Palace about it, and and essentially. It's the same approach that they take to player signings, where they will not announce things until contracts are signed. They won't, you know, if you if you'll hear about Palace signing Jefferson Lerma, and it will take three more days after the after the event, where you've got someone saying, uh, you know, essentially a journalist will say, "This is it. you've got Fabrizio Romano saying, here we go, Palace are signing Jefferson Lerma, and, and it takes forty eight hours for it to be announced by the club." It's because they're just making sure that everything is completed contractually, and that's when they announce it. The same applies to the announcement about Wilfred Zaha. Um, and my understanding is that the club will make uh, an announcement or a post or do some kind of social media thing um, on Tuesday morning, um, just to allow the 
dust has settled a little bit with regards to his move to Galatasaray. So there is this kind of idea that there's almost a disrespect of Wilf, um, you know, that Palace could have maybe responded sooner, but they that's just the way that the club works. So, um, so yeah, there's an answer for you on that. Um, final question is from Julian Chenery, who regularly complains we don't ask his questions, so I might as well ask him, ask this one. Uh, who should wear the number 11 shirt? He's 65 now, so he probably you have to yeah, give well, a little bit it. of leeway for the OAP and make sure he's heard, don't you? Indeed. I, I don't want Julian to flounce because uh, no one needs to see that. Um, but yeah, who should wear the number 11 shirt? Jack, who do you think? But, um, would it be a bit of a thing to, if we do pursue the Mikhail Schwanker signing and, and sign him, then who knows? Chuck it to him and, and see how he does with it. But yeah, it probably will have a bit of weight with it. And in, in Wilf-related shirt number, he's going to wear number 14 for Galatasaray. So clearly 11 or 16 weren't weren't available for him. But um, I don't know who wears it. It probably will come with a bit of weight to it, though, won't it? The, the next next guy to wear number 11. Let's just hope whoever wears 11 next wears 7 after Johan could buy slightly better than Max Meyer did. Yes, that's very true. Uh, that would be a terrible thing to happen. Um, Dom, do you, who do you think? Do you think it would be Francher if, if he comes? Um, I I have no feelings on this matter whatsoever. I'm afraid. <laughs> Good. Um, I'm not going to. I'm not going to ask Selzy because it will probably be a similar answer. Um, but it. it <laughs> I you know see, we too well, don't you? Yeah, I I did see a suggestion. <laughs> I did see a suggestion that his number should the number should be retired entirely. Which uh, I don't know. I, I just think I'm I'm kind of against that unless it's someone who was a just. A, kind of worldly talent you know you could understand Maradona you could understand Martin Kelly um, you know yeah Cruyff and uh, yeah Martin Kelly um if Will wore the number 47 uh you could easily retire that but the number 11 it just seems like too big a number to retire to me. I mean ultimately no players bigger than the club so that, that would probably be a little bit That's too it. far a step I would say but yeah indeed we shall see it, it, it could well go vacant this season Yes, well, we'll see. We will see. Um, well, I, I hope the new bloke that comes in has got the balls and the uh, and the minerals to go and have a go and not be too worried by it. To be honest, uh, I think, and I, I'm, I'm very practical about this kind of stuff. Anyway, who cares? Like, let's just get on with it and and move forward. You know, what's done is done, and uh, let's uh, let's look at the future and hope that there are more essays and Elise's around the corner. If we bring in another two of that quality, I think everyone will be fine. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. On that note, we're going to round the pod off. Um, we'll have another podcast at some point in the not too distant future talking about transfers, I think. Jack, is that correct? No, I mean, what we were looking to do was do a kind of retrospective about exciting summer transfers, but we felt that might not have been the right vibe. Yeah. Given the weekend's this, news. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, probably not a good idea. Um, <laughs> tri- yeah, Trip down memory lane wasn't really one that fancy. 30, 30 second podcast. Hi, I'm Jack. Welcome to our <laughs> special transfer special. Oh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Enjoy your summer, guys. <laughs> But that, that has really been a problem for us. We've not had any meat on any bones to chew on. And it's just, it's literally just been, I mean, it's just been silence. We've just been waiting for Wilfred to make his mind up. And unfortunately, he made it the wrong way as far as we're concerned. But um, yeah. I can I can tell you, Rob, that I had a, a conversation about Joe Whitworth with somebody in, that's involved with the recruitment last week. And 
he did say to me a few things were moving, so I'm sure they're trying to uh, trying to get a few things done. Lovely stuff. Well, there you go. There's a positive note for everyone. Enjoy the rest of your week, um, and uh, we'll be back. Don't be tweeting me, by the way, because I don't know who they are. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) There you are. All right. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.